right. So welcome to the Hamsteak Podcast, where we read Homestuck and tell you about it. My name's Lydia, and I've read Homestuck before. My name's Alex, and this is my first time. All right. So this week, we are going to read pages 2770 through 2809. And um, yeah, um, we're about to mess around with some paradoxes, with some cats, with some new characters, Mm -hmm. um, see some new places. Uh, But first, we should probably recap what went down last week two weeks ago because we got hit with like the plague in grad school and stuff so yeah so we're gonna try to keep the episodes um consistently at one week but or one per week but there's obviously just gonna be some times we can't especially right now because we're both kind of super busy yeah i was sick but yeah so so let's run down a little bit of of what happened last week um, most of our time was spent meeting Jade, who is the fourth kid of mm-hmm. the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alex described her, how did you describe her? You called her like a bubbly oracle, I think? Yeah, that's what I said. Okay. Which I think, I think is pretty suitable. She's very like, excitable. She really likes nuclear physics and like furries, but not in a sex way. <laughs> um, go ahead. Well, just not in a furry way. Like, she refuses to call them furries. Right. They're anthropomorphic animals. Exactly. Don't don't get it twisted. Um, oh, also, Dave gets his shit wrecked by literally a puppet being puppeted by his brother. <laughs> um, oh, and Jade interacts with the trolls for the first time. Uh, or with a troll. Um, yes. And Rose, we have... So we've left Dave in the middle of a fight with his brother slash his brother's puppet. We've left Rose um, in a mysterious underground lab that is about to be destroyed in a couple of minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, Jade is working her way down into the foyer of her house so she can go outside and feed her pet, but she's worried about confronting her grandfather on the way out. Mm -hmm. And John is... um, John is currently... John is stranded in suburb without Rose fighting some ogres with his Nana Sprite. Yes. That is a good summary. Thank you. I'm looking at the show notes from last week. (laughs) Could not have done that off the cuff. Nice. All right. So we start with a really confusing panel. I didn't understand what was going on here. What do you mean? Like we see a a sideways countdown Mm -hmm. somewhere in the future. And I just didn't parse what this meant. It's a story file. Oh, what? Did you oh. click on the link to the story? Oh, file? I totally missed that. <laughs> oh, that explains a lot. Because <laughs> I was, when uh, Peregrine Mendicant, um, oh yeah, it's a blue link. There you go. <laughs> when Peregrine Mendicant showed up later in the reading, I was like, where is she? What's the heck's going on? But no, okay. So in the story file that I'm reading for the first time right now, it's the hot take. Uh, <laughs> so Peregrine Mendicant, we left in this desert wasteland in the future. Um, beside this bomb-shaped metallic thing that, uh, dropped from a tree. And now we see her getting into it, and it is some kind of, uh, transport similar to the one that the Wandering Vagabond... Is that his name? Wayward Vagabond, yeah. We, I keep, I'm gonna keep messing that up um it's okay so yeah. it's literally it's literally a thing in fandom that people call him the wandering vagabond a lot okay cool 
Um, so yeah, he was in a cylinder with the Homestuck logo on it. Mm-hmm. Um, she is in a an orb with the Homestuck logo on it. And I was confused as to how she got there, but now I know. She just went in. And these worms live inside it. Yep, the worms including the one whose head she chopped off because it tried to eat her mailbox. Yeah, so when another worm showed up, I was confused. I thought she had killed the worm, but there are more. There are. So, the joke the joke being like they're worms and the the whole orb thing is like an apple because it grew off of this enormous tree. Oh, I see. Yeah, remember from WV Ascend? Yeah, I remember. Okay. I, I know what's going on. Okay. Now, now I know what's going on. <laughs> All right, so there we go. So that, that's what goes down in that story file. Yes. And then we get an animation of Dave absconding. Or trying to. Yeah. It doesn't really work out. <laughs> he gets he gets his shit. I actually didn't watch the whole thing because I've like seen it enough times that I just like remember him getting fucked up. Yeah, so he holds his own against his brother for a while. Um they're dueling with katanas, but then uh his bro kicks him and he flies across the roof down the stairs and he gets flashbacks to uh Sweet Bro and Hello Jeff. And talking about the stairs, bro. I warned you about the stairs, bro. I told you, dog. It keeps happening. <laughs> um. So then, then we switch over to Rose, who seems to be. I think the joke is she is aware that the narrator is trying to make a stairs joke and is having none of it. Uh, in some bizarre way, I don't know exactly possible. what the joke is. I mean, like all all of this narration stuff is very fourth wall breaking. There's layers. Yeah. Happened or imminent meteor strikes. Um, they are happening or imminent meteor strikes, um, with lots of little teeny tiny ones. She, like, zooms in on her house and we sort of see a little bit more detail about what these look like. Mm-hmm. And, um, so there's, there's the real big ones, which look like they come for players themselves. Then there's the smaller ones, which look like they comprise the sort of, like, the meteor shower that's been going around, going on around Rose this whole time. Yeah. So, basically, um, the earth is getting wrecked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Earth is basically doomed. Looking around. Um, so we sort of poke around in... Rose is sort of poking around on that map. Um, and we get the text. The second largest future future strike is over Texas. And the largest, by a huge margin, is centered on Jade. Yep. Like, it's not explicitly said, but, like, we see... We know where they live and we see them. We see... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they're like they're huge. They're way bigger than any of the other ones. On yeah, the map. so so um, the one over Dave is kind of the size of um, I don't know Cuba. Okay, roughly. Um, the one over Jade is about the size of Australia. Yeah, it's pretty big. Yeah. So she's probably pretty boned. But so another piece of information that's on this map is um, like how soon or far away um, these strikes are going to occur. And so um, it yeah. looks like the one over Jade is farther in the future. Right. Um, which uh, should tell I, th- I think we can use to infer um, that when when they're going to enter Spurb. Right. Yeah. Because the one over um, Rose's house is yellow. 
Right, which right. Which means it's very soon. Right, understandably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so once she finds this console, she plugs back into the, the little hub grid thingy that she found and um, is able to reconnect to John in his game. Yeah. So, um, so John, you notice that John has gotten a lot better at this, at fighting. Mm-hmm. Which is, yeah, he's, uh, he's getting the hang of it. But then, um, the Nana Harlequin sprite, uh, also fights with, uh, all the large appliances in the house. Yeah, she does which... this, like, portal thing where she, like, continuously just drops them. She drops, like, the fridge, the stove, and the dishwasher, like, over and over and over. Yeah. <laughs> and these things have all leveled up at this point. Like, oh, true. Which is a joke, but also the stove has, like, a flamethrower attack. I didn't even notice that. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, so working together, they overcome the two ogres who leave just enormous amounts of grist behind. Yeah, these really satisfying... Like, it's not even like they're piles of grist. It's still, like, a couple objects, but, like, yeah. they're so big. They're, like, <laughs> crystals bigger than John. I love them. Yeah, like enormous purple fruit gushers. Oh god. We talk about more about gushers in this reading, and I, yeah. I love them. Yeah. Um, so, uh, then we talk, Rose tells John a little bit about the, uh, the suburb player countdowns, right? Like the countdown that John got on the Cruxtruder when he took the lid off. Right. Um, and Rose points out that they are essentially an elaborate coincidence. Um, I didn't, I'm not sure I understood that part. Yeah, so what she points out is that based on her, her console thing, like, remember, these are Skyanet labs, right? So we assume, and there's, like, spirographs everywhere. We assume these people are affiliated with Spurb. Mm-hmm. Um, and the big meteor strikes are associated with the players. And so the implication with the countdown that you get on the crux shooter is this is how long you have before the meteor strikes your house, right? And right. what we think going into this is, oh, taking the lid off of the... Crookstruder somehow shoots a meteor at your house. And what Rose is saying is this console makes it look an awful lot like that's not what happens at all. Because obviously, like, you know, she hasn't, she doesn't, she hasn't just deployed a Crookstruder. None of that has happened for her. Right, right. Um, and so, but, but this centralized console knows when these meteors are going to hit in advance. And so what she's saying is, um, like, it's all prearranged. Right. Something knows exactly when you're going to take the lid off of, or I guess not necessarily when you're going to take the lid off, but something is, is tracking the meteor impacts for, for all of these things, and, and Suburb is, is connected to that. Right. There's something... Else. So so you were kind of right. with the, you, had, you had that theory that, like, Jade's parents were programmers of the game. Uh-huh. It's not necessarily that her parents are. But somebody out there somewhere somebody, yeah. is orchestrating. This isn't just random. Right. Nice. Um, so we cut back to John, and he's leveling up. Um, but this time the Escher ladder is, like, a physical object behind him. And we <laughs> see, like, the camera angle is really low to the ground, and we see him, like, pumping his fist. Um, but what's strange to me is that we see blue sky and clouds above him. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I'm confused by that because so far we've kind of been looking at a three-quarter angle down at him. And we've only been seeing the black void that surrounds the house. But is the uh, is the sky supposed to be blue above him, or is that just kind of artistic license for the level-up screen? That's artistic license. I think even the echelator itself being a physical object, like, all of that is sort of a visual metaphor. Okay. I mean, like, as much as any of this is, do you know what I mean? Like, capture log cards, like, are they a visual metaphor? Are you physically interacting with them? It's a blurry, it's it's a gleefully blurred line. (laughs) Gotcha. Um, So then John goes around, this is just kind of a throwaway gag, but John picks up the grist that he's uh, released from, like, trumping those ogres and um, he stores it, and he's thinking, what amazing new items this supply of grist will be just barely insufficient to produce. <laughs> Which is how I always feel when, like, I level up in a video game. Mm-hmm. It's like, look at all this cool stuff you still can't do yet. <laughs> like, you unlock new stuff that you can't... Hmm. And, like, that's totally, that's, like, game psychology. Like, yeah. it's supposed to be like that, but it's infuriating. Sure. Um. So then he makes a really weird crack about... Hussy, not John. Yeah. So um, so when he's describing these giant purple fruit gushers, he describes them as sour grape electric holocaust fruit gushers, um, which is supposed to be a crack on like the weird hyped-up flavor names for gushers, as you mentioned. Um, but yeah, we don't need to invoke the holocaust to make that joke exactly and I, just, I think yeah yeah it's just uncomfortable it's really uncomfortable i think that's the the last time he he does that he makes a lot more gusher jokes later and they're all just good because <laughs> i really like the gag i really yeah. like the the hyperbolic gusher name gag. <laughs> yeah and i feel like this is just kind of a a wider cultural thing where people use the word holocaust kind of willy-nilly right? when it's, like, a specific historical event that you shouldn't just make jokes about. Yeah. I was thinking about that as I was reading it, and I, I mean, like, I was just thinking about, like, how bizarre it is that, that it occurs to anybody to crack that joke. Like, are are the people involved just not real to you? Like, what what is the psychology there? I think it's, I think it's mostly, like, people just see it as a word like apocalypse or Armageddon. That's, Um, yeah. Because, like, that's what it means. But, like, you can't, you can't extract it from its meaning. Like, especially, um, just within, like, 50, but, wait, 70 years. Yeah, literally, it has not been that long. Like, not that it'll ever be okay, but, like, it just, uh, yeah. Anyway, it's it just I don't know, it like harshes me when um like I'm like reading this comic, like have a good time, and then it's like <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I wish he wouldn't. Um But then we get a, an endearing dialogue between um John and Nana Sprite on the next page. Mm-hmm. Um John keeps asking her questions and she keeps answering in her sort of like uninterpretable, like oracle y way. Um yeah. And, like, like, lest you ever think, like, John is just, like, a naive, like, baby, he's he's not. No, of course not. Um, he, like, he's, he's sharp, 
Um, he's just very nice and, like, prefers to be really on the level with people. He can be a little bit, like, a little bit thick sometimes. Like, he doesn't always pick up on things, but, um... Yeah. But, uh, he asks Nana, Do you think that instead of telling me exactly why that is with a clear explanation, you can give me a series of really coy riddles about it and then sort of giggle? <laughs> which she yeah. does. Which she proceeds yeah. to do. Yeah, it's a really nice little, um little gag and just kind of shows you more about both of them I think yeah I do you know what I mean like do you know what I was saying where like I really like this comic because everybody is characterized really well yeah yeah I really do yeah I'm I'm really into yeah you're really into good character writing I really am like that's that's why I'm along that's why I'm kind of along for the ride on like the sprawling plot nightmare that right. this comic becomes because every there are there are like way too many characters, but all of them are interesting. Nice. Yeah. Um, oh, and then we end up on a mysterious kingdom uh, blanketed in darkness, and I love the art of it. Yeah, the art is really interesting. So it's this kind of um, uh, collagey found footage, or not found footage, but like. Um, like stock photos, maybe? Stock, yeah, stock photos of these, like, gargoyle, intricate uh, castle walls, but then, like, pixelated and colored purple, and with, like, crude checkers, board, like, checkerboard patterns drawn all over them. In, like, what looks like the MS Paint pencil tool. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's... Go ahead. It's so visually striking. It is. It's so great because it's like, it's because it's all like pieced together in like Photoshop. It's so much more, it's like made of found art or like found photos of, you know, like Gothic cathedrals and and castles and stuff, but like spliced together to just be like more impossibly like spiky and spiry than anything would be in real life. And like walkways every, oh, it's so cool. Exactly. Um, so dad is here and he's, as we saw in the animation last time, he is fighting imps with uh, his unique uh, fight style, which includes caking them in the face and whipped creaming them in the face. <laughs> or shaving cream. I'm not sure which one it is. Shaving cream. Okay. Yeah. Um, and also punching them out windows in really beautifully laid out, um, like, old school panel-to-panel video yeah. gags. Yeah. Um, we get a rare two-panel page, and it's just... It's just, like, John's dad, like, rearing back, and this imp with just, like, a resigned, like, sad face on. <laughs> yeah. And then the next panel is, like, the imp, like, with exactly the same sad face just, like, flying through the air. Mm-hmm. You really have to see it. It's a lot funnier in person. Um, I just feel, I feel, like, dumb. I mean, like, that's what happens when you describe a comic, but, like, I feel dumb sometimes being like, in this visual gag, let me just dictate it to you. I should really just tell you what page it's on and be like... I mean, I think we have to lean into that. We have to just embrace it. Um, where are we? Oh, yeah, so we, we meet up with, uh, Peregrine Mendicant. And my note was, where is she? But now I know. Oh, wait, 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 but we forgot to mention that we meet... Well, we don't meet him yet, but we see a mysterious figure. Oh, right. Yes, so before we meet up with Peregrine Mendicant, there is a couple of shots of a mysterious figure 
seen from the back, and he is monitoring both Egberts. Through some things that look like windows. Mm-hmm. So then we get a bait and switch to PM. Yep. It looks like you're about to go hang out with... It looks like we're about to be introduced to him. They're like, you are now. And then you turn the page and it's PM. Oh, right. Um, when I saw that you are now, I assumed that we were going to switch. Oh, uh, okay. Points. Uh, the narrative, man. The like point <laughs> of view structuring of this comic is just too complicated. Yeah, it, it it really does. Like when you're writing, when I'm writing the notes, and I have like one like oh this page Rose does this thing, and then on the next page oh John's doing this thing. Like wait a second, like where's the transition? There's no transitions ever. <laughs> or when there are, they're like obtuse on purpose. They really are, and I so that's really. Can we talk about that for a little bit? Sure. I think that's so interesting. Like the way. I had never really even thought about that, but, like, the way that we cut, like, super briskly between all of these perspectives, like, briskly and sometimes even deliberately misleadingly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a very uh, distinct part of the comic. I don't know if I've ever seen something do the same kind of thing, but at the same time, it's not, like, hard to follow. Like, it doesn't feel unnatural. Yeah, I wonder if that's because it's um, it's a textual medium instead of, like, a, a video medium. You know what I mean? Like, you consume it at your own pace. I guess. But, like, if I was reading a book and, like, one paragraph was from one perspective and the next was from a different perspective, that would still be confusing. I mean, you have read A Song of Ice and Fire, right? Right, but those are, like, each chapter establishes the narrator. That's true. That's true, as opposed to... Well, I mean, like, when we transition here, you have either visual cues or textual cues that establish... No, right. I, I just mean, it's, like, it's so snappy. Like, it just... Mm. It can just be for one page. That's um, very true. Yeah. I So that was, what I was thinking about was, like, I think that's really interesting, and I wonder if that would... Because people... Older people don't read this comic. Understandably, because they don't have any fucking time to invest in something <laughs> like this. But I just, there's so few older fans of this, and I wonder if part of that might not be that the... The, the structure is just unpalatable? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think that might be the case for a lot of people, but I also... And maybe it's just because we, as the millennials, are so... Uh, like, I mean, uh, no, no shade on us, I guess, but we do have, like, weird... Weirdly structured attention spans. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that just, like, this that makes this more palatable for us? Like, we're, it's not that strange? Like, we can follow? Or if um, it's just easier to follow if you are trying? I don't know. It's easier to follow if you are trying. Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, that was a bad end to that sentence. Um... <laughs> It's easier to follow because, like, we're investing in this because we're about to relay it to other people? Yes. Okay. Well, I don't know. I mean, I found it absolutely intuitive to follow every time I've read it before, just, like, blazing through it at my own speed. Um, oh, okay. You know, that's not... Actually, that's not what I meant. Okay. Um, but it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, I do I do think that, that part of it is... It's almost... It's like we're native to fast switches like that more than we are 
yeah. to any other kind of transition. I think it would almost feel clunky if there were deliberate transitions, you know? Yes, for sure. And But also, now that I'm thinking about, like, why older people wouldn't read this, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's kind of a chicken and egg scenario with the structure and also the content, like the the way it's written, the way the dialogue is, like, just might not make any sense to people above a certain age. That's very true. It leans really, I think, like, that's what makes it so appealing Is it to us, is that it leans so hard on means of expression and, like, cultural, touch, cultural touchstones and dialects and idioms that are, like, absolutely native to us. Yeah. Um, in ways that you don't see in very much other media, um, but at the same time would definitely make it totally impenetrable to someone who didn't grow up on AOL Instant Messenger. That's true. And also, now that I'm thinking about it, um, those kind of dialects and uh, idioms would be absolutely insufferable if this was, like, acted out. Yeah. Like, yeah, I would not want to listen to, a, like, a transcript of this comic. It has to be in written form. Right, because it doesn't, it's... Because it's, it's spoken in ways that people only say in writing. And that's, like, something absolutely new to us, is um, ways of speaking that are never said aloud. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I mean, like, I think we're both sort of talking about that post that you put up at some point last week um, about uh, ways of... It's kind of like uh, translating um, syntax into spatial notation, the, the way that people do in signed languages. Did I put that up? Um, well, I, I, that's an analog that I'm thinking of, but you posted something about how translating... Um, linguistic and, like, pragmatic cues into text. I don't remember that at all. Oh, it was a while ago, maybe. Um, okay. <laughs> maybe it was Sai that put it up. Um, but talking about, yeah, how we, we've evolved a lot of these sort of native ways to communicate that are, like, natural to us, but that aren't to, like, our parents' generation. And, and you know, things like... Like, some parents who text, like, with a ton of abbreviations willy-nilly and who aren't aware that, like, there are specific, like... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. There are, like, layers and layers of, like, social implications to all of those choices. Like, so many adults end, like, text sentences with two or three dots. And I'm like, don't do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you you sound passive-aggressive. But they don't know that they are. Exactly. Yeah. We read we read so much tone into like little tiny linguistic switches, and so like we can read these really like rich dialogues, but like a they don't translate aloud. Like in the comic, yeah. they they don't they obviously like you said they don't translate aloud. It's a spoken word, yeah, yeah. It just it would it's like clunky and tedious, um, and the the interplay between like what is said and the way it is said doesn't translate to speech literally either. You'd need to rewrite everything. Yeah. And also it just for many reasons it wouldn't work as uh as live action. Like might... the visual gags and stuff? Yeah, exactly. Like the the jittering sprites all over the place. 
Yeah, it'd be a very different medium. It'd be a very different work. Homestuck the musical. Well, I think about that. Homestuck on ice. <laughs> Homestuck on ice. No, I mean, like, you could make a film series about this. It would take you multiple, multiple feature films yeah, to do it, it, but it'd be so different. Yeah, it wouldn't be the same at all. Yeah, you'd have to, I would think, I, what I would want to see if you did that would be to fully rewrite the dialogues and have have all these interactions be taking place over voice channels rather than text channels. Huh. Which, I mean, it would be a fundamentally, like, a pretty different story but like if it were executed well i think it could still be interesting mm-hmm. especially as we get further into this comic there's definitely like visual elements that i would love to see on like a grand cinematic scale right um yeah anyway i think we've gone a bit off track it's okay there's, that- not a lot, uh, there's not a lot to talk about this week yeah, but that that yeah that linguistic stuff was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I sorry I forgot about that completely. Yeah, that's okay. I post. forget my own name sometimes. <laughs> um, it's uh, L- Lydio Pazonga. Yep, that's what it is. I'm gonna publish my first uh, conference paper under that pseudonym, <laughs> and that's just how I will be from now on. Lydio Pazonga. <laughs> All right. So, so anyway, so PM also has one of those barcodes, right? Yes, on her uh, forearm. Right. Um, and that's pretty much it. We just basically see her in, um, what is she doing? She's, uh, so we find out that her mission is to deliver a letter, like a, an extremely old, uh, yellowed, kind of torn letter. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why she has all these mailboxes. Um, and I assume that the person who the letter is for is long dead. And she can't she can't find his house in this wasteland. Yeah, I mean, I think the implication is that she's got multiple letters and she's just out looking for right. any of the recipients. Which is, it's, a, it's really interesting. Like, she's kind of, um, what's the word? What are the words? Um, she's, like, carrying out this ritualized version of being a poster worker, where, like, she has mythologized, like, the male system and is attempting to keep it alive, but none of these people, I assume, are still alive. And also their houses are under, like, a hundred feet of sand. Yeah, you're not wrong. <laughs> Um, so two things I want to I want to build off of with that. Uh, one is uh-huh. that we are going to see a parallel to that phenomenon with someone else, and it makes. So so do you kind of understand her origin? Because you should. But I think we went over it the last time we talked about this. Well, we hadn't gotten there yet. She's the same species as uh, we were back up on, right? Right, with copious um, checkerboard um, imagery. Imagery, correct, and some chess imagery thrown in there. Yeah, so she's from the same place as him. Like, she has the history with the king or whatever, the monarchy that subjugates them. Right. Oh, you're so close to getting there. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyway, it'll... That, so that that's kind of part of it, is why they're sort of carrying out... Do you know what I mean? Like, they're sort of pawns, and so they're... Yeah. It makes sense that they 
latch on to tasks like this and like really run with it. Oh yeah, I see. I see what you mean. Um, so we're going to see a little bit more of that um, with another character in this um, story. Yeah. Okay. But are they like, are they like exiled to this wasteland or are they still? They on... are exiled to this wasteland. Where Where okay. did you think they would have been? Oh, well, in the Dark Kingdom or wherever it was, the place that that is. Pretty much. Yeah, you're you're pretty much getting there. I'm just this is I think that's reasonable to have pieced together right now, which is why I'm kind of prompting you because it it just this story's starting to get kind of too big that if you aren't building these intuitions in the background, it can be hard to piece together right. other plot threads later on. Sure. I hope that we don't get more hate mail that's like, "Why are you leading him on?" <laughs> I'm not doing it to be mean. Um, oh, and you ask me if um, American postal workers wear hats like the one PM puts on with the little brim and a little golden eagle in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they do, at <laughs> least in places. I mean, I don't, I don't. Do Canadian postal workers wear uniforms? Yeah, it's like a a blue shirt and or not even like a like a like an off white shirt and maybe blue pants. Okay, that's what they wear here, too, or, like, shorts in the summer, but, um... Yeah. I think some places they do still wear wear the hats. I know that in the past they definitely did used to. Right. I guess... Yeah, I guess it wouldn't... Like, it could be just an old-fashioned hat. Right. I just, I just like the idea of, like, someone walking through modern, like, downtown, like, L.A., wearing one of these, like, military-looking, very official hats... And shorts. Mail. And shorts, yeah. <laughs> the, shorts are so the shorts are so cute. I kind of think they're actually more likely to wear it in the city. Um, than Like, in, in, like, big cities than in the, in the suburbs. Because, like, down, like, downtown in big cities is often, like, pretty formal. Whereas, like, where I grew up, like, uh, I don't remember them wearing hats. Okay. Yeah. All right. We do love eagles here in America. <laughs> Understandably. Um, so in this orb that PM is in, she has the same kind of terminal that WV had in his uh, cylinder. So it has the four screens and a Mac keyboard, and on it she can see Jade. She can. Um, and except she tries to view her... Um, and we get this, like, green and yellow, like, crackling energy, Mm -hmm. uh, very quickly comes out and, like, covers the whole terminal and then blows it out of the side of the orb. Well, she tries to, um, she tries to, like, type something out to contact Jade. Right. And then Jade seems to get, like, a really confused face. Yeah. Uh, and, like, she's also, it seems, like, surrounded by green energy. Right. Um, so yeah, then that energy on PM side just kind of short circuits the entire uh, console and blows up part of the orb. Whoops. Which also blows out um, some of her mailboxes. Except one of the worm thingies catches it and yeah. brings it back to her and PM yeah. gets a little heart. over. She gets a little gray heart above her head. I love post-apocalyptic Unlikely friendships. <laughs> well, have you heard of Mad Max Furry Road? Mad Max Furry Road. Oops, I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> um, 
So, so we cut to Rose, who has a countdown telling her how long it's going to take for a meteor to destroy this lab, presumably with her in it. Mm-hmm. She is thinking about the tea set. Well, she's trying not to. Yeah, right. But I mean, like, she's like engaging with. We're, we're spending narrative time engaging with yes. the tea set on the floor. Also, why the fuck is there a tea set? I think the joke is that why the fuck is there a tea set? Like, I guess, but like, actually, why? Like, it's not. That's not just like random. Like, where it's it's next to Rose's house. Like, is it her tea set? Like, is it her mom's tea set? Like, what? Um, I read it as someone like had their daughter living in this lab with them. Okay. And brought some stuff along to make her more comfortable. Aww. In this, like, gross green and black uh, technology area. You have just a little corner with some pink tea set and, you know, a scarf. Yeah. So Rose puts on the scarf. This, like, really bright pink scarf. Oh, yeah. But she also sees a kitten... A friendly mutant kitten. It has four eyes. It's very little. It's like, it like chews on the scarf. Yeah. It's so cute. That, ooh, that cat's important. Uh Uh-huh. And it doesn't become apparent why for a long while, I think a couple thousand pages, but that's sort of an important cat. It doesn't do anything important, I don't think, but passively it is very important to the story. Well, I can't imagine that, because uh, later on we see where the uh, cat might have come from. Right. But we'll get to that in a minute. Right, because meanwhile, John needs to dislodge some grist from the fight that is lodged in the ceiling above his dad's room. Mm-hmm. Which, remember, he's never been in there. That's right. And that is it for this week. Uh, let's go to Questions. If you'd like to send us a question, you can send them to hamsteakpodcast at Tumblr. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you can send us an ask at hamsteakpodcast.tumblr.com. Or you can... Or you can... Go ahead. Oh, you can uh, give us that at, or you can slide into our DMs at uh, <laughs> hamsteakpodcast on Twitter. Um, or you can send us an email at hamsteakpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Um, <laughs> or so, specifically, if you want to, if you want to say something spoilery, you can ask me. I'm Brick Chip on Tumblr. We'll do that after. Okay. Well, yeah, but um, I know, but like specifically this week because I said a thing about like. We'll still do it after. Yeah. Um. So our first question is from anonymous, and it says, "Back in my Homestuck fandom days, I would quote phrases from it all the time, and I still can't look at apple juice without thinking." It is like fucking Christmas up in here. <laughs> it was a dark time. Have there been any words slash phrases slash quotes that have stood out to you folks? Lydia, go ahead. Oh god, um I still say I had I forget that it's a homestuck gag at this point, but like when shit keeps happening, I will say it keeps happening. <laughs> Like, like when you're like out on ice or something and somebody just keeps slipping and falling, I'll be like, it keeps happening. Cause it's funny. Like it, I, I still say things that like, you don't have to know the comic at all for it to still be sort of generally funny. Right. Yeah. Um, and I still sometimes will vividly imagine when I'm like 
doing something that's like futile and I'm like getting really like caught up in it or something, I'll see the blinking text in front of me that's just like, this is stupid. <laughs> but mostly, no, I don't, uh, I don't think to quote it anymore. Nice. Um, yeah, I feel like it's maybe too early for me uh, or just since I've been going through so methodically, I haven't been able to like, nothing stuck out that much for me so far. Mm. I think also part of what ingrains it so strongly is that if you're reading this, like, if you're reading this just for yourself, you mainline it, most likely. And so, um, I mean, like, it's like watching a whole TV show in one go. Um, Right. It just is, like, really powerfully ingrained in your brain. As opposed to to reading 100 pages a week, like, in one, like, 100 pages once each week. Right, for, like, a year. Yeah. Uh... (laughs) So our second question is from Dwellington. Hi! Uh, and he says, Hey, Hamstakes, I would be interested in hearing your perspectives on the Homestock fandom. Sorry this question is so vague. <laughs> That's okay, thanks for sending it. Um, Alex, do you want to go first on this one? Uh, sure. My... Huh. <laughs> My impression of the Hamstake... <laughs> the Hamstake fandom is great, and I love them. Uh, the Homestuck fandom, I perceive largely as a bunch of screaming teens, which is not a bad thing, but it is an intimidating thing. Mm. And it it can, and for many people has, uh, led to disinterest in trying the media out for itself when your main exposure to it is a bunch of screaming teens. That about sums it up. <laughs> That's a lot of it. That, is, that about sums up especially how it appears to outsiders. Um, so I, I sort of spent some time on the, like, the periphery of fandom. I didn't, I don't create fan works at all, but I, I followed some, I followed like, you know, like Roach Patrol and, and them. Um, like, oh yeah, totally. You know Roach Patrol? No. Okay. I, I I don't know. They're like very well known in a lot of circles. Um, and they left the Homestuck fandom, but um, I I don't know. I the fandom amazes me in the quality of some of the fan work that it produces because it produces incredibly high quality mm-hmm. um stories. People. The main thing is that it's because of the way it's set up and we'll see sort of more of that later on, um, there's lots of ways to um, uh, sort of... There's different sort of permutations or, like, ways to, like, if we change just one thing, what would that universe look like? Um, and so people will take whole... People, people create enormous, like, sprawling alternate universes with this that are, like, really well thought out and, like, really interesting. Um, yeah, so, on the one hand, I think that it is, like, I guess sort of to to counteract, like, I do, I do also find it really off-putting, and I don't like to be there, um, anymore, and a lot of the people who were doing a lot of the really great work have kind of moved on. Yeah, um, I'd imagine. Because, because, yeah, unfortunately, the project has lost a lot of its momentum, because it's just dragged on so long. Yeah. Um, so, that's kind of unfortunate, but, but I do think that it brings in a lot of, um, it generates a lot of really interesting work and a lot of really, I mean, people, people make, make fun. And I mean, Hussey even makes an in-universe, um, 
parody of this later on of um, all of the sort of social justice dialogue that happens about this comic and in the fandom and about representation um, right. with this comic. But um, a lot of it, like there is a lot of it that's very shrill <laughs> and inarticulate, but there's a lot of it that is really interesting. That's yeah. I feel like that happens with anything that gets popular with social justice minded people. Yep. That's very true. So, I mean, like, and I mean, like, I don't know, I, it was also part of, like, what, what put that, put those issues on my radar in the first place, um, is that, oh, nice. you know, like, I was, I was sort of vaguely aware of, like, wow, like, there's all these girl characters, and, like, they do stuff, like, they're great, they're on exactly even keel with all these male characters, and it's awesome, um, and, you know, reading stuff about that just kind of put all the rest of it on my radar, and I think that's really good and important, and I think it did that for a lot of the readers um at nice. you know formative points in their life so yeah it, it, there's some good there's some bad nice yeah i think that's true of many fandoms and i think uh homestuck is an emblematic fandom mm-hmm. very true an emblematic no. it's perhaps maybe like most emblematic of like the new fandom yeah like the the Tumblr era. Right, yeah, because there is there is no old guard of, like, you know, 50-year-old men who've been going to Star Trek conventions since there were Star Trek conventions. Right. All. Obviously, everyone got into this via the internet and has been nattering about it to each other at a high rate of speed constantly. <laughs> um, secretly yes. in, in the computer room of their parents' house. So, like... Yes. Ah. Um, also, I guess, like, the like immediate image that came up when I was thinking of my perspective of the Homestead fandom is obviously like the, uh, like the con pictures of 20 troll cosplays <laughs> and just like the amount that I didn't understand that <laughs> and still don't cause I still haven't met any trolls, uh, was so impressively large that I was like, I have no reference point for why these people are gray and have horns and are all together. And so for a long time, I just was not interested. Yeah. It it becomes off-putting in how intense people are into this massive thing. That's like, you know, it is itself a huge barrier of entry. And then the degree of intensity of the fandom, I feel like can be off-putting as well. Yeah. That's true. A lot of people, oh my God, everybody, Everybody has seen those photos of just kids in gray body paint. Yeah. And stuff. Because, like, when you're cosplaying a troll, you look really intense. And if there's a score of you, that's really intimidating Mm. to the outsider. Or the insider. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I think that answers those questions. Yeah. Um... So I guess that's the end of questions for this week. Um, so if you'd like to contact us on the internet, I am Leaf Crunch on Tumblr and Crunchleaf on Twitter. Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, it's still better than Autumn Tib. Mm-hmm. Um, so my name is my name online is uh, Brickchip on both Tumblr and Twitter. And if you have a spoilery ask that you just want to run by me, um, you can reach me on either of those platforms, preferably not a public at on Twitter because Alex obviously <laughs> follows me on Twitter. Uh, but I will, you know, if it's something that I can answer on the air without being spoilery, um, I will do that. 
as best I can. Um, so next week, uh, we are going to read pages 2810 through 2879, uh, in which Jade engages in some last scampering through some decidedly eerie foyer decor. Um, we almost beat Beckerel, we almost meet Beckerel, but not quite. Um, some stuff blows up, John's dad is really strong, and we meet one of my favorite surly characters in Homestuck. Um, and that's about it. That is. For this week. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. Thanks for bearing with us through this, like, crazy scheduling stuff. Yeah, uh, and we'll always keep you up to date on what the plans are for the next episode. Mm-hmm. Well, so thanks thanks for coming along with us, and I guess we'll, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.